Good day, everyone. This is Jeff Rose. As you probably know, based upon the podcast you're listening to or are about to listen to, and I just want to ask for your questions. In fact, we're going to do some future episodes based upon your queries. And by the way, I learn from your questions at the same time. So if you could please email me any question that you have to questions at leadingedsolutions.com. And there's potential that question could be featured on a future episode. We're going to be collecting these questions and answering them based upon my perspective as an educational leader. Hello, everyone. This is episode five of Leading Education with Jeff Rose. I'm your host, Jason Pace, and today we've got a little bit of a different episode. If you listen to episode four, we started down the track of talking about safety, but we have realized there is so much more to say about that, and we've got some exciting guests that are lined up as well, and we're going to continue to work on that series because we know that topic is super important to all of you out there. Uh, we just want to do a little bit more work on it. We've really dug in and decided there's a lot of rich information there and a lot of great discourse, and of course, that's what we're here to do. So we're going to take a little bit of a turn today and let Jeff tell us some actual stories and we're going to talk about the power of what you say. And so Jeff's with me here. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. I wanted to ask you a question. We're five episodes in. What do you think about how it's going? I, th I think it's going well. I'm having fun. I am learning along the way, to be quite honest. I am used to speaking, whether it be on a stage or two people in front of me. And of yeah. course, you are a person, but let's just pretend you don't count um, right. in in the way that I'm used to. I'm used to standing, reading, audience reaction, um, planning my specific message and delivering it is, you know, in a precise way, if yeah. I do it well, this is different, right? This yeah, is a absolutely. conversation that's being recorded and one where we're trying to provide information, but in the meantime, we're trying to be engaging at the same time and sometimes even bring in guests. And I will say that the concept about safety that was going really well and still yeah. is. Oh, totally. And yeah. um, we just decided, I decided recently, we got to spend more time on it. Before we release what we had prepared, yeah. let's make sure it is as thorough as possible. And I have a variety of things to talk about. And today is a very important discussion for me and near and dear to my heart. Absolutely. And, and I know we've had private conversations about this. And you've told me stories about, you know, when we were actually going through the why episode, which is what one of our early episodes, and you were talking about just various things along your path and your experience. And they were all great stories. And I just thought, yeah, we've got to, we've got to make sure these stories come out. Um, and so, yeah, that's today's topic, right? It's the power of what you say. Um, Jeff, how would you like to how would you like to start off? Well, I would I would say it is the power of what we say, it, the messaging, the semantics, um, whether it be to students specifically, or whether it be the school to the community or the district to uh, the community. But it's also sometimes the power of what you don't say that we mm. have to pay attention to. Right. In fact, I have told you this one story. I'm going to mention some things you haven't heard before, Jason, today. Uh -huh. But um, my my first learning relative to this issue was 
Um, something that, by the way, I, I failed in. You'll notice in the stories I'm going to mention today, these are things I really did not do well. Yeah. And um, fortunately, I make lots of mistakes, and therefore, I'm a really, really good learner. I think that there is <laughs> there's a lot of power in failing. And a lot of things I have done have, in fact, failed, but that is a learning strategy of mine, and I promote it for other people as well, being reflective specific to your failures or your mistakes is, uh, is really important. But I do remember, and um, when I was in college, I had just decided that I think I want to be an educator. Right, this was that pivotal moment that I had right. that we mentioned in the you know, why episode, I right. think it was episode two. Right. And it was just after I decided that, in fact, I am a learner myself and potentially of average intelligence, and I want to lean in this education thing, I think. And I thought at the time the best strategy was to go work in schools. Sure. So I went through the process of becoming an instructional assistant, and this is in Long Beach Public Schools in California. So Long Beach Unified School District assigned me to a particular elementary school as an instructional assistant. This school was one that was very unfamiliar to me and was one that I had never assumed or had any experience in. So, for example, I can tell you that it was in a, uh, in a high-poverty neighborhood. Mm. Um, the demographic was predominantly African-American. 95% uh, were black students. And uh, this was a neighborhood known for uh, being rough. I will tell you the teachers at the school would often talk about the carpooling scenario of how they would have to come together in one yeah. particular car because there was a lot of damage that would be done or a lot of thefts that would happen in this particular neighborhood. Now, of course, at the time in college, I didn't have to worry about my car, right? right? So you can imagine what I was driving. Uh, no one was going to steal or damage that because uh -huh. it already looked damaged. Um, but it was, this was a new environment for me. I was assigned to be a, what's called an sensory motor instructional assistant. And basically, I was working with kindergarten students. Okay. And so let's be clear. I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. I really had no strategy um, I had no experience. Of course, I wanted to learn, but I didn't have a whole lot of tools in my belt, if that makes sense. Right. And I want you to picture it. So I mentioned the demographic. Me, I remember I'm a swimmer. I'm a surfer. I was a lifeguard for huge parts of the year on the beaches in Huntington Beach. So I have long, white hair yeah right i'm yep. extremely tan and this is me in that environment where right. well over 95 percent of the students are black and 100 percent of the students are living in poverty scenario right so you kind of stand out i stand out right well i can remember this very particular task that i had which was moving kindergarten students from one classroom to another. My job was just to make sure they stayed in line from A to B. Does that sound simple to you? It does. Well, yeah. Okay. On so some level. You are a rookie because it is not simple. That is a complicated task. Yeah. In fact, I just want to maybe praise kindergarten teachers. Yeah, uh, absolutely. People have no idea about the gift that they have. And by the way, I've never had or learned that gift. Um, but I did have to get students from A to B. 
And here I am trying to shuttle them from one place to the other and uh, not being very successful. Students are scrambling all over the place. They are definitely not in a quote line. And I am trying to physically sometimes show them, I want you to stand close to the wall, kind of use my hand, my physical proximity. Um, I'm using my voice. And to be quite honest, no one's really paying attention to me. Mm. There is this one particular student who was definitely not paying attention to me. And this is, uh, once again, five-year-old boy. Uh-huh. Um, and he had this almost permanent scowl on his face, okay. kind of wrinkles on his forehead. Uh, he's wearing cornrows. Um, and I asked him to get in line. Yeah. And literally, he didn't pay attention to me at all. There was nothing. There was no reaction as though he did not hear me, but I think he did hear me. Okay. So my next strategy was to raise my voice mm -hmm. to make sure he heard me. This time he did, and he looked at me and then looked away as though nothing. So now <laughs> it's time, in my opinion, because what else did I know? It's a showdown. I, I just have to be stern. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Well, I want you to picture the image, right? Me mm -hmm. and how I look and me being stern in that particular scenario. Right. And um, I think our listeners need to know you're what, 6'3", 4"? I'm 6'3", 6'4", very yeah. out at the time, very lanky, <laughs> right? I was, I was so an you're athlete. you're towering and, over this little yes, five-year-old. Yes, and by right. the way, I am intimidated. <laughs> and yet I have to pretend as sure. though I'm not. Yeah, of course. So I sternly ask him to get in line. He looks at me, almost through me, and says, shut your ass up. <laughs> yeah. That was his quote. And here's, here's the kicker. I, I think I might have blacked out for a minute <laughs> and potentially said, okay. <laughs> right? I, right like, honestly, what, what's I, the response I to don't that? know. Yeah, um, right. I'm nervous. I'm probably perspiring at this point in time. Right. He is definitely not nervous. Not perspiring. Yeah. And here's the problem. As I reflected on that later, I did nothing. Right. In fact, that, that reflection has, was a, has been a pivotal moment for me. Mm -hmm. Early on, this was kind of my uh, first entree into the concept of learning about equity. I, at the time, I had not done a lot of learning or self-reflection about my own cultural competence. Over time, I have, and uh, I've learned a lot. But I will tell you, I did nothing with that student. Mm -hmm. Number one, I did not inquire into the why behind his behavior. I did right. not do that. Right. I did not show him that I was concerned or that I cared because I did nothing. I didn't even hold the student accountable in a loving way. I did nothing. And by the way, I realized shortly thereafter that I sent him a very powerful message. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't know exactly whether how he took it, or if it's just subconscious, or he was even used to it. But I didn't create an expectation for him. I let him say that, walked away from the situation. And I think back to that and realized how, well, how embarrassed I am that I did nothing. Yeah. And that was my first major learning about um, what you say, or in this case, what you don't say sends powerful messages to kids. Right. Well, Jeff, obviously that didn't deter you from becoming an educator because here we are right now. Well, quite the contrary. In fact, um, that, that guilt that I felt 
um, drove me. Almost made I, you more determined to... Yeah, in fact, it made me um, ref- think about this particular student, and I can remember his face right now. And I remembered going through a process of wondering what his life was like in right. comparison to my own. That's what I'm thinking. And I'm I had, wondering right now. I had now. struggled myself, right? Yeah. So I mentioned that, and I had struggled in a very different scenario. And once again, statistically speaking, I should have been very successful. Right. Um, and in school, and, and, I, and I wasn't. Yeah. And I started to wonder about this particular student and what he may have faced Maybe what he may have faced that would cause him to say what he said to me yeah, exactly. without hesitating. Well, and, and while it was a pivotal moment for you, it was a pivotal moment for him too. It may have been, or by the way, it may have been another moment that he experienced on a daily basis, right? Uh, right. Because okay. once again, yeah. it's about what we say or don't say and the standards that we hold students to sends a very strong message. If we have different standards for students... yeah. Right, that is, that's a disservice to them. Right. We ask some students, no, here are the rules, and we ask you to abide by them. Right, and we're going to support you in doing so. And another student, if we don't, we send a very clear message that potentially they don't belong in that environment. Right. So, so fast forward to you know through the next couple of years of being a student assistant and that sort of thing, and you get to your first year of teaching. Surely by now you've learned your lesson. Well, th- this is a story you have not heard, but. Um, there have been scenarios that I have had with students where, that have worked out. I just want you to know that. I because, assume that. <laughs> but uh, my first year of teaching, I had this one situation that once again has been pivotal for me and has um, helped me through the years be very specific about my own values as it relates to what we say to students. Mm-hmm. I This is before... I started my first day. This is the summer before I was hired as a fourth and fifth grade teacher in Westland Wilsonville School District in Oregon. Okay. It was a fantastic school, Wilsonville Primary School, that actually is no longer. It's no longer there. Wonderful, wonderful place, wonderful community. And, you know, I would say that very little issues of poverty, Mm -hmm. although there were pockets. And before starting the year, you get your class list. That's how it works. These are the students that are going to be in your class. And if you're not a teacher and that score have not been there, and this was my first year, so I hadn't, you sometimes know the profile of those students. And there are pros and cons to that, by the way. But of course, I had no profile. Right. But I did hear rumors on students, and I knew that I was going to get a student named Tim Now, by the way, the student's real name was not Tim, but to protect the innocent, his name was Tim. And I was told about Tim. In fact, I was warned about Tim by lots of people. They let me know that Tim was coming, and he was going to be in my room. And And this is your first first at-bat as a teacher? Correct. And they told me to look out. Um, They had a lot of things to say about Tim, but they also said, we're here to support you. I knew that the principal and the vice principal and the support team at the school, because this student had so many issues in the past, they were there. But keep this in mind, I am a competitive person. I was going into that classroom and I was going to change the world. And uh, I was confident, let's say. Yeah. And I knew that I was going to be able to handle Tim just fine. Yeah, okay. Tim shows up. Tim is 
kind of exactly what people warn me about. <laughs> I just want to be <laughs> just honest. Just right off the bat. So uh, it's very obvious he's rough around the edges. Mm. Um, you can just tell from his disheveled style. I think he cut off the sleeves to every single T-shirt he had ever been given. Something about that was really important to him that, you know, his little skinny arms were showing. Um, he had this kind of wild, uh, never combed hair. And there were rumors that uh, to and fro from school that, you know, he would often smoke. Okay, right. so is this kid big for his age or a little scrawny guy? A little or? scrawny guy, oh, okay. you know. Okay, so wow. And he's, right. he's a fifth grader. Okay, okay? Fifth so, grader. Um, And from the get-go, his, his strategy when he was um, upset or angry or scared or whatever emotion was a physical one. He was a puncher, and oh. he, would, he would punch people. Okay. Whether they were girls, boys, they were in his way, and, you know, he would... He would, he would throw fists, and that was his strategy, his coping mechanism. He had a lot of anger issues. Wow. Um, I still believed that I could help the student. Yeah. And uh, I will tell you that the amount of attention and love, regardless of how hard it was to give Tim, um, was extraordinary. I, I leaned into this kid. Yeah. Um, and I will tell you that I, I really did learn to love Tim. He was hard. To yeah. love. He was really difficult. In fact, the days he was not present uh, were wonderful days Like a vacation. For me. <laughs> like a vacation. <laughs> right, right. Um, so he was, was exhausting. He was, he just, was, he was yeah. exhausting. Now, right. what was interesting is, and I'll explain the relationship that I got to have with Tim over time, but after I started establishing his relationship, he started to come to school every day. Right. And uh, while that was really, really good for Tim, it made for an exhausting year for me because the days he was gone was different in the classroom. Right, right. But I let Tim know that we were, we were going to fix this. Mm-hmm. I was very honest that you know, he, his behavior was a mess yeah. and he was causing disruptions for other students and it was causing issues even with other parents. And he and I established a very honest relationship, but I said, this can change and I'm going to help you change it. And we practiced every day. We practiced and we practiced. I wow. used to put him on different behavior plans. I would shift up every single week because after a week, that behavior plan would get boring to him. Okay. I had to have secret signals to him because he didn't like to be embarrassed in front of the class. Okay. So I learned yeah. that if you told Tim to be quiet or to change a behavior in front of other students, well, that's why he would hit people. Right. Uh, he didn't lo- like to be embarrassed. And eventually he broke down to where he could tell me that. Yeah. So we came up with things such as every time I straightened my tie or I put my hand on the knot of the tie, it was a message to Tim, Tim, I can see you. And right. by the way, I need you to stop it. Right. <laughs> but things like that, Tim knew that I was listening to him and then I cared for him. And I didn't want him to be embarrassed. Sure, sure. Um, and I will tell you that uh, Tim's behavior changed. Yeah. I mean, I, I quickly got this reputation. Yeah. As almost a hero. Right. In the school for this relationship I established with Tim. Sure. And his behavior changed. Wow. He and I were connected. And if I asked him to jump, he would ask how high. And he stopped hitting kids. And by the way, he was still rough. He was still rough. Yeah. But the, the extreme dangerous behaviors literally not just slowed but stopped. I was proud of him. His mom, who had major struggles of her own and yeah. their family, they were proud of him. She loved him like any other parent. Of course. That doesn't necessarily mean she had the toolkit 
or the background yeah. to know exactly how to manage some of these behaviors. And we saw Tim shift. So did, do you, did she say that he shifted at home as well? She saw him shift at home only in terms of his love for school. Okay. Right? He used to okay. ditch school. Right, right. He, would, he wouldn't come to school, and he would walk and hang out in other places. And as a, as a fifth grader, he would ditch school. He was actually now showing up to school. Right. And he wanted to go, and he wanted to be there on time. Things like this. Sure, sure. So I, I have to be honest. I was really proud of Tim, and I'm also going to be honest. I was proud of myself. Well, yeah. And, and like, talk about... I mean, well, uh, here's the thing. This is not a success story. So I need to be clear. This is not a success story. Um, Tim left because, you know, it was fifth grade. It's time to move on to middle school. Yeah. And uh, middle school did not go well for him. And things shifted. And all it took was a few weeks before I know it, I started to hear rumblings about what was going on in the middle school. Right. And over time, I heard these things about Tim and uh, it got worse. It's just regression. Pure regression. Right. And as I think back on that, I know what I did wrong. And uh, actually, it's, it's hard for me not to get emotional here, but um, what I did wrong was I helped Tim with his behavior. I told Tim I believed that he could at least act yeah. like a student. I never told Tim that he was smart. I never told Tim that he could be successful as a learner in an academic environment. Yeah. You release a student like that into another environment where they expect you to be successful academically. And Tim was not. Right. All I did was help him with his behavior. I did not do the very thing Tim needed most, which for, was for him to see himself as a successful student, not just someone who can act, quote, right. Right, right. And that was a disservice to this kid. And uh, it was one of those things that continues and will always haunt me. And by the way, fortunately, it's helped me change some of my behavior over time. Sure. Well, on the topic of the things we say, right? So you did say the right things. You did do the right things in terms of changing the behavior. What kinds of things, as, as we have people listening to this, I'm sure they can picture their own students or students from the past or students in the present now, what, what do you think you could have been saying or said throughout the school year that would have anchored, hey, Tim, you're smart, you're a learner, or you can be one? What? Well, exactly that. I should have, with Tim, helped him with not just his behavior. Of course, I did my best to help him academically. But, you know, sometimes you need to take baby steps. You need to walk before you can run. Mm-hmm. And I really just helped Tim walk. Mm-hmm. I did not push him hard enough to run mm-hmm. as a student. And, you know, I, I, I learned that. And, you know, over time have, have learned how to shift and be more intentional about the things that, that I have said. In fact, my first year as a principal, I remember going through a process with the staff. This was not me. Mm-hmm. And we had this dilemma in the mornings where, you know, students would be at the playground before we would enter them into class. And it just ended, it just created a rough way to start the day. So um, I gathered a group of teachers um, and fifth graders. And we said, we got to change this behavior. How do we do this for the entire school? Mm-hmm. And as a small group of lead teachers and some lead students, 
we decided that we weren't going to do recess before school started. We're actually going to all collect in the same place, yeah. and we're going to come up with a pledge. Okay. A wow. pledge. And we created this pledge, and I can remember it to this day. And this is, <laughs> this is years ago, right? Give it to us. Um, and our pledge, actually, from this group, I remember we created it, and then we got a lot of criticism. Let me tell you what it was. Okay. It was, yeah. I believe I can achieve and succeed. I know today will influence what I become tomorrow. I will be a good listener. I will be respectful of cl- my classmates because we are here to learn. It's my decision. I will be safe. I will be kind. I will be a learner. I am smart. I have potential. I am unique. I am a Russell Rocket. Now, we came up with this, and we told the staff that we wanted every student to memorize this. Right, right. Immediately, we heard, not possible. <laughs> Kindergartners aren't going to memorize that. Oh, yes, they will. It's too long. And, and that was my answer. Oh, yes, yeah. they will. Not only will they memorize it, their parents will. And oh, yeah. we're going to say this every single day. Yeah, every so that's how you started day. every day. And we did that. We drilled this language, and we said this every single day before we started the school as an entire school. In fact, I would often get in front of these students and I, was, I would start the phrase and I would leave out a word and have them shout and fill it in. Yeah. I wanted to and I drilled and drilled and drilled. Every single morning I asked teachers to do the same and we taught them things related to this language and we used it all the time. Right. We want it to be something that not just memorized, but we can use as it relates to an expectation. And this is not just behavior, is it? Right. It is behavior, but it sends a message. I wanted to say to students, you're smart. Right? In fact, um, I would tell you that we also had other slogans that we would use. Yeah. So, you know, you've seen reader boards in the front of a school. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And what do they usually say? What do you see when you, when you drive by a reader board? What, what does it say? Um, it's, it's got some PTA meeting on it or something, some announcement about an event. Nothing wrong with that. Right. 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 Spring break. It's about to come. Spring break ends. Welcome back. Book fair or whatever. Um, my philosophy was the reader board sends a message for the school. Mm -hmm. So I would work, uh, very closely with our custodian on what it said. In fact, I wouldn't just allow anything to go up there. Right. Um, I wanted to send a learning message. Right. And so because the kids see the board when they would, roll in on the bus, everyone does, yeah. and we would still need a PTA meeting, etc. Some of those things, but I also wanted it. It could not have a message specific to a meeting or some sort of detail without a powerful message about learning. Right. My wife helped me with this one, which yeah. was our focus was literacy at that particular school, and it was the goal is to read, the reward is to learn. And okay. We used to say it all the time. In fact, I had students memorize that. Right. The goal is to read, the reward is to learn. We would put things like that up on the board. Okay. I would want students to know that they have potential, so I would steal Jeff Howard's thoughts yeah. because he would often say, you know what, you work hard to get smart. Yeah. I told you that I don't believe in the innate ability paradigm. Right. That some have it and some don't. Right. I believe in gifts, but I also believe that we need to send a message that a student's current scenario or you know, circumstance, that does not dictate their future. Right. It simply does not. And therefore, I wanted students to know, you work hard, you get smart. I want to be real with you. If you're struggling in school, we want you to know where you are as a learner now. Yeah. But that does not determine 
your overall destination. Well, and you use the word believe, and believe is the most powerful word in this concept, right? If they, It doesn't matter what you believe about a student. It's what they believe about themselves. And even as adults, we have talk tracks that we tell ourselves good things and bad things. Most of the time, it's bad things. We have this tape that plays in our head. And what you're doing with this pledge, or at least what I can see you were doing, you were starting at a very young age to, to teach them that what they tell themselves can change their belief about themselves. Well, I will tell you this, that uh, there's, there's lots of things that influence um, and impact whether a student is going to be successful. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, unfortunately, students determine in their own heads, and sometimes even families do too, whether kids yeah. will be successful early. Sure, And sure. Uh, I think that that's a shame. I, I understand how it happens. But in, in the meantime, the number one predictor of whether a student is going to be successful in school is whether they think they will. Right, right. So I think that creates a tremendous entree and opportunity for us as adults to determine right. what we are going to say, to send an honest message, but also a message that demonstrates we believe in students and we believe they can make progress regardless right. of their current circumstance. But guess what? It takes intentional language. Right. So intentional that we even need to think about sometimes what we don't say. Oh, yeah. Well, I, as I think about this whole topic, and, and I'm sure everybody listening to this is thinking the same thing, they're thinking back to when they were a student about a teacher that said one thing, whether it was good or it was bad. When you're young, you remember stuff like that because there's just nothing else in your head, right? And then when you, as you get older, especially if you hear it multiple times, you can start to believe that sort of thing. But then as a parent, I've had to intervene in situations where a teacher said something to one of my children and that was a real problem, right? And I had to like confront them and say, wait a second, you, I don't think you understand the impact of what you said, it may have been passing to you, but it landed with one of my kids, right? And so what a powerful message this is um, to anybody listening to this, whether they're, you know, I mean, especially teachers that are right on the front lines. And I'm, I think you've given us some great examples of that. What other, what other, what would you add to this? Well, here's, here's my, here's my advice. Here's my, um, you know, a few things I would ask, you know, people in the educational realm to think about. Yeah. Um, number one, that schools and districts need to be clear about what they believe specific to student potential. You need to be clear about that. In fact, it needs to be an expectation. Right. To, to, to work here, to be part of what we want to do, what we believe is our mission. Right. This is what we collectively believe because based upon those belief statements then clear language will be created. So, so you mentioned this. This kind of brings us back to this innate ability paradigm thing. You're saying, like, there's no place for that. Correct. Right. Or, or, or there is. I'm just saying that um, if, if me as a leader, yeah. I believe that, for example, if my job is to lead, my job is also to set an expectation relative to what we collectively are going to be about. Okay. Yeah. Um, also, the second piece of advice I'd say is that, you know, language is real and you need to think about what that collective language is. I'm not going to I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but 
you know, we hear a lot of language about students being good citizens. Mm-hmm. We want them to be good citizens. <laughs> Was, so yeah. I, it's real common, right? That's like yeah, a, sure. It's like that's our vision, right? That's but they goal. don't know what that means. And so that's that's my point. Right. A student doesn't know what a good student is. Yeah. Oh, excuse me, a good citizen. They don't know right. what a good citizen is. Right. In fact. Um, we that's don't not even even, a word we don't even that gets used. That word yeah, anymore, right? That's the only time that word ever gets right. used a so lot. Language needs to be really clear, and it needs to send a message, of course, to students because that's what it is about. But it also needs to resonate with community. Needs to be clear for all staff. So semantics is just really, really important. Yeah, my last piece of advice, at least for this episode, um, would be that people are specific and rely on language. And that is because the work is really hard. Education is complicated, as we've talked about before. It's yeah. not rocket science. It's much more complicated than that, right? Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's my joke, right? but it's real. Yeah. And the work is hard, so much so that sometimes you will end up saying things that you don't even believe about students, mm-hmm. about your colleagues, about the community or parents, you may say things you don't actually believe. You need to have some belief statements and clear language that you can rely on that brings you back to your core. Sort of an antidote to that mentality. You you have to have it. You have to have it to even create accountability with your colleagues. Right. You see your friends slipping specific to some things you can tell that they don't believe what they're saying yeah. about other students or about other people. You need language to say, well, wait a minute. Our touchstone yeah. is this. Sure. And sure. so I just I think, once again, it brings us back whether, and we all have stories. Yeah. I have stories, and I have ones that have really, really you know, demonstrated success, but I've also had ones that right, I know I have failed kids. Yeah. Right. And um, while I feel guilt from that, I also learn from that. And that would also be my my last piece of advice is, you know, this is not something to uh, to really try to make me feel bad. Right. Sure. It's trying to help people reflect and improve. Sure. So, Jeff, just to wrap up, we, we kind of shifted gears with this episode. Why did why did we do this again? Well, I've actually heard from people recently. Um, yeah. The. I have heard from people via the Facebook page, the Leading Education with Jeff Rose Facebook page, Mm -hmm. and people have talked to me about the why episode. Yes. And have demonstrated to me that they appreciate the concept of story and some of my learning and reflection specific to story, and story is important. Right. So this messaging has been powerful and has been important to me, and because of feedback, Mm -hmm. I decided... I want to focus on a little bit of story as it relates to some of my overall learnings, but also some of my philosophies. Stories are powerful. Thanks, Jeff. Absolutely. listening to Leading Education with Jeff Rose, hosted by Jason Pace and Jeff Rose, and recorded at Serendipity Labs in Alpharetta, Georgia. We are produced and edited by Carson Pace. Our theme music is by Full Year of Panic. 
If you're listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We'll see you next week.